You're listening to a podcast by Change My Relationship, featuring licensed marriage and family therapist and author, Carla Downing. These podcasts are designed to provide you with practical solutions based on biblical truths for all your relationships. Today, Carla will be interviewing a guest who has experienced a relationship problem and successfully worked through it. I'd like to welcome you to our second podcast for Change My Relationship, and today we're going to be talking to Laura, and I told you last time that we were going to be discussing the topic of spiritual manipulation and abuse in the church. Laura's story is going to center on how she struggled with trying to find accountability for her husband and how the spiritual manipulation was being used on her, not only by her husband, but also by the boards and pastors and people that she met with in the church to try to get accountability for him. I met Laura several years ago when she contacted me through my website when she was in a very difficult place in this process. That's how we have come to know each other and why I asked her to present her story. And I think you're going to find it very interesting. So welcome, Laura. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, let's just jump right into it. Why don't you give us a brief background about the beginning of your marriage and then what brought you to that point where you were dealing with the people in the church that were not making your problems any easier, but actually worse. My husband and I had been married already about 14 years. He had wanted to be a youth pastor in his teen years and was kind of shunned away from that, then started his own business, but in that time had really felt the calling to become a youth pastor again. The church that we were at supported him in that, as well as myself, and so he closed his business with his partner and was brought on full-time staff at the church. But ultimately, it was the same church that paid for him to finish up his degree in counseling and biblical studies, then also ordained him. And there he became a youth pastor. The struggles that you had in your marriage previous to that were, you described them to me as a lot of typical struggles that you would have with somebody that was narcissistic. Can you briefly describe those? Again, looking back, my husband was an only child. You know, you fully expect to deal with some independent issues and some selfishness maybe more than others. But looking back on it, I recognize that it was pretty much his way. I was to kind of toe the line. Anything that I was interested in or my thoughts and opinions, I look back and he might have listened to them, but never took them anywhere. You had a crisis with him that centered around his job as a a youth pastor in the church. Are you comfortable sharing that with us? I am. It's taken a long time. Um, I just want to thank you, Carla. You were really the first person that validated the craziness of my life at this time. And that was uh, huge for me to be able to start this healing process. About 14 years into our marriage at this point, my husband is a youth pastor at the church he was ordained in. The senior pastor's daughter and my husband were very close. She was on the worship team. I had let him know that, you know, I think she kind of has a crush on you. I would be careful. She babysat for us a couple times, and it was pretty obvious that she had a crush on him. And so I just said, you know, if you could please be careful. You know, of course, his response was, oh, of course, you know, I wouldn't do anything to jeopardize our marriage. And she's just like a little sister to me. So I was blown off then. 
middle of uh, 2007, we moved into our home, had our fourth child three months previous. And it was about a week and a half, two weeks after we moved into this home, he was scheduled to leave on a missions trip. This young lady was one of one of the people scheduled to go on the trip. And it was a two-week trip. And I was home here dealing with a new house and pool and uh, four kids, the youngest being three months old and the next in line being a year and a half. Just one night, talking to my daughter about something completely irre- irrelevant, I literally felt I got a kick in the chest immediately my first thought was he left you. I was really taken back by that. It was very much not my nature to be worrisome. I just knew I couldn't let that go. And it felt like a warning from the Lord. He came back from the missions trip and it was pretty apparent that he and this girl who was 16 were very much affectionate towards each other. It was more than just playful, I guess, banter, which still wouldn't be appropriate. And through over the next few months, I continued to just say, listen, I'm concerned. And it got to the point where he had said to me at one point, you're not allowed to bring up her name anymore. You can't speak nice about her. There's nothing that we're doing. You're being insecure. We have to work together to get over it. How old was she? 16. And how old was he? 37. That was July and through the through the end of the summer, the fall, by March, it had become pretty embarrassing. The kids were taking piano lessons at the church and I showed up and she was in his office behind closed door. They weren't doing anything. They were sitting there, but I was like, that's enough. There is absolutely no reason that you both need to be in here behind a closed door. Get out of his office right now. She got up, walked out in tears. My husband was livid. You know, how dare I? This is not, this is his place of business. This is not appropriate for me to be doing this. It was, it was obviously pretty awkward. I picked up the kids from piano. The girl had said to me, you're acting like I'm the church whore. And I said, no. And at this point I didn't have any solid evidence other than what I've seen, the uh, change in my husband's behavior. And that, I will say, has been the key for the deception right along is very minimal evidence to be brought against him. I'll get into a little bit later other evidence that I did find, but he manipulated that as well. Did you immediately go to the pastor or anybody on the board of the church with this with your concerns or did you just deal with him for a while? So what ended up happening is that that afternoon, she was in tears. The pastor and his wife were there giving me dirty looks about, you know, why I kicked her out of his office. At that point, I, I just needed to leave with the kids. So I came home with the kids. They were in bed by the time it was a youth group night. And so he came home after youth group, the kids were in bed. He laid into me. Uh, verbally and just said, how dare you? You've embarrassed me. You've embarrassed this girl. There's a uh, meeting set up with a pastor and his wife, and you will be there and you will apologize for your actions. It got physical. Right then? I did. I, yeah, I, I can honestly say don't remember getting up out of the chair, but I remember hitting him in the head. It was not pretty for a little while, you know, retaliated. He did, but It was months of him denying and then making me look to be crazy. And I look back and this is exactly the kind of reaction that he preyed upon, which was the crazy making, 
the inability to actually prove anything, prove anything for me to be able to express anything. He was looking for a reaction because all my reaction did was bother his victim mentality that, yeah, my wife isn't stable. You know, she's got four small kids at home and she probably just needs to get out more is what he would say. Now, did you go to that board meeting? So I did because I thought, okay, God, you're, you know, the God who allowed the sun and moon to stand still, you can do anything. And I'm going to go and I'm going to speak truth. The people that were at that meeting were the pastor, his wife, the daughter, myself, my husband, the family pastor at the time, and one other person I asked to be there because she knew all the players and I felt like it was accountability. I thought it was appropriate accountability at the time. And it was uh, definitely one of the lowest days of my life. Sat at the table and was told I needed to apologize for embarrassing this young lady. In the big picture of things, recognizing narcissism in my husband, recognizing that we were under the narcissistic leadership in that church. So you're Um, telling me that not only was your husband narcissistic, you recognized traits of narcissism in, in the pastor. Absolutely. I found out years later that the husband and the wife, the pastor and his wife knew what was going on. They knew that this actually was happening? They knew that this was happening. He knew that an adult man, 20 years older than his, 21 years older than his daughter was having an affair with his daughter and he let that happen and turned it against you? Yes. What I was told was that he knew it was an emotional affair, didn't realize the physical piece of it, but that it's over and done with. But, and this was years, this was a few years ago that it finally came out that it's over and done with and nobody needs to contact her. And it goes to the disgusting behavior of narcissism, his need to feel so important in the church that he can't have his church know that he basically sold out his own daughter. Wow. And then at um, that meeting, did it, was it just your husband that asked you to apologize or was it? No, it was well, everyone. 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 It was everyone. The pastor's wife even went so far as to say that I was jealous and insecure, that I was jealous of her daughter because, well, she was skinny and pretty. Wow. I can see why that was, was the lowest day of your life. Did you apologize? If I remember correctly, what I did apologize for was making it so abrupt. I apologized that I was under strain and that I reacted the way I did, but that I hoped that this could be a point where we could openly discuss the obvious inappropriateness of this relationship, to which it was unanimously, minus myself, decided that the church would graciously pay for counseling for us as a married couple, but for me essentially to deal with my insecurities. Wow. And so it did. So we went to counseling in hopes that, okay, Lord, God, you can use anything. Here we are at counseling. I'm really hopeful. It was with a Christian counselor who came highly recommended. First visit kind of did a background of why we were there. Then the second time we knew we were going to kind of delve into some issues. And he basically let me know that we were there because of me and my insecurities. As difficult as it is to be a youth pastor's wife, that I need to be aware of the fact that plenty of girls, young teenage girls, and sometimes, you know, boys are going to have a crush on my husband and that it doesn't mean that he's having an affair with every single one of them. And I said, I agree. I think that there is one though that he is. At that moment, he turned to my husband and you know how you make 
the cutting thing motion with your fingers. He turned it to my husband and said, when your wife does something like this, I want you to make this motion. And it was the cutting motion and with scissors. He goes, I want that to represent her emasculating you. Oh my gosh. By cutting off your testicles because she is not listening to you as the head of the household. I was in shock. Me too. I was in shock. <laughs> That's incredulous. Oh my gosh. Um, and this is a Christian counselor. It was the same visit that he let us know that because the church was paying for the counseling, he was to report back to the family pastor on how things were going. And he was a licensed counselor, like, like licensed therapist, yes. which yes. all In the laws state. of confidentiality and all of that applies. So that's really not even ethical. Exactly. But right. again, I'm hopeful, okay, God, you've got to control the things I can't. But at that point, my husband knew that, okay, I'm not speaking a word. If there was any chance my husband was ever going to get honest, it was not going to be with him. At this point, it was pretty much he and this girl had their affair for entire senior year of high school. Um, I was left to show up to church and do my wifely duties. It was pretty much shunned, you know, as you can imagine, by the other pastor's wives. And so I really was pretty well alone. The day she left for college, my husband was sobbing and just said, you have no idea what it's like to lose your best friend. And I turned to him and I said, I actually, I think I do. Now, during that time, were you just quiet and did you just like say, I can't fight this? Or did you continue to try to get him to admit it and try to get him yeah. to, yes, it you was did. This, It was very much this leaning into the Lord because, you know, I didn't, you don't want to be that nagging wife, that dr constant drip. I would just pray about it. And at one point I just said, you need to leave this house. It is not appropriate for you to be here in this home. He turned to me and laughed and said, this is my home. I'm not leaving. And if you leave, I'll have you for abandonment. And if you take the kids, I'll have you arrested for kidnapping. And he walked up the stairs. And then he also had said to me that I will see to it that no one believes you. Ooh, that's um, really scary. And he was right. I became very scared of what he would do with the kids. If the law in our state is very clear, <laughs> you know, unless there's physical abuse that can be proven or other things that can be proven, it's a he said, she said. At this point, a friend of ours was a police officer, and that's exactly what he said. He said, Laura, this is a he said, she said, and neither of them are going to acknowledge this. I had a really good sense, the Lord gave me, that there was evidence on his computer. Just after one night of him being constantly on his computer and his phone, I did not do the wise thing. I pitched him out in the backyard instead of taking them to an Apple store or whatever where they could download stuff. But that day he went and got new hard drives. All the evidence of their sexting, the nude pictures back and forth were gone. We basically stayed at that church for another three years. The young lady would come back from college and he would ignore me. I'd watch. He would continue to just say he's a changed man. He did admit to the extent of their behavior, but it wasn't until after she left for college and months later, he admitted to me the extent of the relationship. I believe he did lie. I found out years later that he had lied about that as well, but he did acknowledge that there was significant physical contact between the two of them. And then you did leave that church. We did. And it was really the kind of thing that I'm watching my husband try 
and do better. And I'm watching his priority shift. He did shift back home a little bit more. He was undone with some of the things that the church and that the pastor was focusing on. He would say it's little K kingdom stuff versus the big K kingdom. And he was getting frustrated, or so he said, with how things were. And he goes, and it's obviously awkward to work there. I'm not seen as a a senior staff person. Looking back, it wasn't that at all. It was obviously how in the world are you going to work together after that? So he started putting feelers out to other churches. I questioned the validity of that. And he basically said that God has him in this position and in this role for a reason, that he's a changed man, that if God doesn't want him to be in this role, then he won't get the job in the church, to which he did apply to another church in the area for the family pastor role. In the meantime, I continued to pray and fast and beg God to just show me how to marry that submissive wife spirit to the knowledge of what I have. It just continued to be the same mantra over the years. That So you mean you were asking God to help you to be submissive and supportive of him, even though was, you had that information? Is that what you meant? It, yeah, I was trying to marry the, I want to be submissive, God, to what you have, but I also know that this isn't right. So I need your help in figuring out how to navigate this because my husband just isn't listening and I still feel undone. And I just kept continuing to be told it's because I'm unforgiving and I need to let it go. What's done is done. He already apologized. He's not in that relationship anymore. It's over with. So how did this carry into the second church that he was at? So the second church carried in. I told him I wouldn't go to another church unless he was honest with the pastor. This type of church, it was an independent church. It was a heavily led pastor and deacon board. Whereas the other church, it had a national backing. It was not of any authority um, for accountability. The independent church with its deacons, its pretty involved deacon board, it was the kind of thing I thought, okay, God, maybe he just really needs to get out of this church to clear his head. We just need a change. This has been four years now. We just need a change. Maybe this is what he needs to move on and to be able to come to terms with what actually happened. I did tell him, though, that I didn't feel comfortable moving on without somebody knowing, and he said God had already covered it. And when the deacons and their wives and the pastor and his wife came to our house to do an interview. Chuck had said, listen, we'll go ahead. You know, you let me do some answering if, you know, if you don't know how to answer. And I said, no, I feel confident in what I need to say. And I really prayed and fasted and asked God, I said, listen, if somebody straight out asks, I am not going to lie. I, I want no part of lying. I'm, I want no part of a cover-up. And none of the elders and deacons and, and pastor really actually ask any questions about our past. About it. He didn't tell they them. They didn't. And, and, and no, and in, in preparation, you know, my husband had said, listen, I'll take care of those answers. And I said, I, I'm, I can handle them, you know. Um, because it's both of us. And, you know, the thing in the church is that, no, 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 we're hiring him as a pastor. You're just allowed to be the wife, which in my limited experience of a couple churches, that's nice. And I think some churches do a real good job of that. But let's be honest, if things at home aren't okay, it doesn't matter. You know, it's both of you. It's the family being hired. And you can ask, you know, my kids would probably 
feel the same way when you're in a fishbowl. One person came real close to asking, why exactly are you leaving the church? And he had asked me the question and I started to answer that while it was, you know, a shift in our heart and our mentality, more family focused versus program focused, I started to say that, you know, we had found it not to be healthy and Chuck didn't, my husband didn't like where this was headed. And so he kind of chimed in and interrupted and then just took over the conversation from there. It never came out. My husband had said that he had told the pastor that because it was in the past that we could feel comfortable to move forward. With that information, I trusted the Lord that the due process of the leadership and the questioning that they had done of myself and of my husband at the time together and privately of him, I was trusting the process and trusting God to oversee it and allow the truth to be told if it needed to be. So for a few more years, it was me just questioning myself questioning my reality, trying to raise the kids, but always having this not okay feeling. And it wasn't just the one girl. There were other girls. There were things along the way that I would question him about. And I would be told I'm out of my mind that he can't outlive his previous sin, that I'm not letting him out of that sin. It was a one-time thing. Granted, it was over a year. I wasn't letting him out from underneath that and he can't do much more to prove to me that he's a man of God that he says he is. Meantime, he's counseling couples with advice that he himself won't take in regards to accountability. He's leading the men's ministry at this church with his own sons involved and not taking his own accountability advice. And when I would call him out on this, he'd say it's different for pastors and that he has enough accountability. They don't need to know everything. And what was I trying to do? Undermine his character. It was always questioning and, you know, why I was trying to undermine him when I had told him repeatedly that I've proven by not going public by not taking this anywhere else, that I wasn't looking for that. Now, you eventually did, though, go to the yes, What prompted it, you to do that? It was another low day in my life. It was a Sunday morning when I was really feeling convicted and tired of feeling like we were living a lie. And I looked over at a young mom who was 35 and she was dying of ovarian cancer. I just remember looking at her and feeling like I would give anything in the world to trade places with her. And I knew at that point I needed counseling because I wasn't okay. I didn't want to harm myself, but I just didn't want, I would never harm myself, but I just didn't want to keep going on like this. Understandably. And which is really a healthy feeling, recognizing that. Yeah. You know, in my nursing background, I've told other people the same thing and realized, okay, we're at that point. And so I told my husband, listen, I know I've asked for it before, but I need counseling. I'm not asking for you to go. And I'm telling you because he's with his biblical background and his counseling degree, he knew a lot of counselors and didn't want any of this to come out. So I was trying to continue to honor him. And I just said, I'm coming to you because I need help and I'm not looking to undermine you, but I'm going for help. So you can either have a say in who I go to for help or I'll do it on my own. And that's when he said, I'm being an unsubmissive wife by going to get help because God is the only help we need. I called him onto the hypocrisy of the other people that he counsels. And brilliant. Yeah. And he, his response there was, well, they're only in my office. I don't, I don't want to see them for long periods of time. And I said, well, I hope to not be in counseling for long periods of time myself. So that works out. He said, well, God can't honor you if you're being unsubmissive. And I said, then so be it. I went to the head, his boss 
Ross, who was the senior pastor and admitted that Chuck was his best friend. I said, we're struggling. And what Chuck would do is he would go before me if he knew that I was going to someone. So he knew that I was going to speak with his boss and he just went before me and he would, like he did with a couple of the other pastors and a couple of the other elders, he would, he would lay the groundwork and he would basically became exactly that. He said, she said, and he would get his story told first so that it sounded very believable. And then by the time I come around, I'm the nut job wife. I went to the senior pastor, told him I'm struggling. That's when it came out that Chuck did not tell him about the affair. So the pastor was saddened that he hadn't told him, but agreed that we need counseling. So he found us a counselor in Buffalo, which was two and a half hours from our home. So we would drive for two years, two and a half hours away every other week, leaving our kids, you know, to babysit themselves um, while we were gone and an attempt to try and get to the bottom. What I was hoping was to get to the bottom of this. Reason for Buffalo was it was a major church that had a clinical counseling staff. They had a ministry specifically designed to help pastors and lay people in ministry who are struggling with affairs, pornography, you know, the addictions, that kind of thing. And so again, putting my hope and trust in the system, asking God to work, we really never got to the bottom line of what I felt was the true issue. And we continued to just circle in counseling. It was continually brought up that the Joseph story in the Bible from the counselor that he saw me as Joseph and that I just basically needed to take my lumps that God was going to work out this story. If we had come to him sooner, he could have done something maybe that by this point, we're like five, six years into this and it's old news at this point. So there was nothing to do. Now, wasn't um, he also talking, giving the church information from your sessions or his so, opinion? Yeah, I found this out afterwards when I had suggested to him that Chuck was narcissistic, that he fit all the, on the actual DSM. The um, difference, the criterion that they have. For yeah, that. the criteria. He had, I think it was like eight out of 11 of the symptoms. They um, partnered with clinical psychologist, a Christian clinical psychologist. We both agreed to be administered a self-reporting psychological evaluation. It came out afterwards that one of the details that was not shared with me was that in his profile, it stated that he, his answers were not basically consistent. Like putting forth a particular image. He wanted to be seen how he, he wanted that's to what be it seen. Was. So he, he wasn't. Was very inconsistent. He was, his answers were not forthright. Yes. That, that was the word. It was not forthright. And when I brought that up to the counselor, looked at me and just said, well, no, it's like an alcoholic. When you try and confront them about them being an alcoholic and they deny how many beers they have. Um, it's like that. Okay. But I, I was just questioning the validity of that and that making no sense. And then also saying, okay, but then that means he does have a problem. My husband and this counselor literally got the dictionary out and read to me the definition of forthrightness, insisted that it was me that had the problem. And at this point, I'm beside myself. Our home life is a disaster. I'm being blamed in front of the kids for not keeping my mouth shut or being a problem 
in home and at the church that anybody that I talk to, I'm only letting them tickle my ears for what I want to hear. And then he told the kids, didn't he turn, literally turn the kids against you? He did. That hands down, lowest thing ever done to me, even over the cheating. And the kids down. believed him because they saw oh, his absolutely. strength. And then they, Absolutely. he, he He's, told them how to perceive you and blamed you. You said blamed you because you wouldn't study the Bible with them. So any boundary that you set or anything that you did to have a voice or to speak up about it was basically used as a way to prove that you were the difficult one still. Exactly. God's word was always used against me. He used it with everybody that was involved in this situation. I just liken it to when Satan came alongside Jesus to tempt him. My husband was a very difficult man. There's no arguing with him. He has a clinical counseling and biblical degree. Um, he, could, he knows all the scriptures to use exactly. and all the ways to interact. Exactly. And he's a very clear communicator in certain situations. Especially when, like you said, he's gone before you and sort of set it up. He's like, yep. there's that, that old movie uh, with Charles Borier and Ingrid Bergman, where yeah. it just talked gaslight and it talked about the same thing where he just set it up and even had the housekeeper participating in it and saying to her, oh, you know, you know, you're just having trouble remembering reminds me of that. So you finally yeah. went to the board, which resulted in him getting fired. Well, what ended up happening is at this point, I told the counselor, I would no longer participate in this. This is not healthy for me. I will find my own counseling. And it was at that point that Chuck and the senior pastor were getting pretty nervous because what were they going to do with me is what it came down to. It was also around this time that a missions trip to India was being scheduled. Chuck was supposed to go. He was the pastor to go teach other pastors. I was raising red flags and concerns. He's not the man who should be going to do this. It's not appropriate. And I was told that I was not the one to judge that, that the pastor was and that this counselor was. So this is when the counselor stepped in and was told to step in which I did not know about until afterwards, he was assessing whether or not it was okay in our marriage for him to go. And I basically, it was like, you know, a month before he was supposed to leave. And he basically said, I feel like he is able to go. And I'm asking that you be, be willing to let him go. And that when he comes back, we can continue to work on these issues. That's when I just said, I can't do this anymore. This is too much. He went on the missions trip with our oldest two and other people from the church came back. It was I believe it was during that time the pastor had called me just to see how I was doing. Something was said in the conversation that triggered him to question the affair. He said, wait a minute, you said his daughter. And I said, yeah. And he said, wait, how old was she when this happened? And I said, she was 16. He told you that. And he goes, he never told me that she was underage. Now, in the big picture things, should it have mattered whether the affair that was hidden was... Um, Technically, no, but it probably gave the church more liability if it was with someone underage. And that's what it came down to when he realized, okay, this is, this is a burning ship. And that's when I found out that the elder, he had never told the elders in the church. He told them that we were going to counseling, but had never told them why. And so at this point, we were a major liability to the church and he knew it. So he let the elder board know what was going on. And at that point, the elder board was, had said, yeah, no, we can't have him as our family pastor. And so he was terminated a few days before Christmas. And he told the kids what? Came home that day. We were actually, we were both made to come in so that they could fire him. Done 
in front of me as well. And they basically both fired both of us, which was again, hurtful. We came home. My husband had let them, the kids know that, well, I was fired today. It was because your mom couldn't keep her mouth shut. What he told the kids was, and well, you can forget about your friends keeping in touch anymore. His stinger to the kids was that their friends weren't going to keep being their friends anymore because of this, which was, you can imagine, it was just a devastating blow. You know, this whole time, my, my older two knew what was going on. My younger three did not. Knew about they the did, affair or just they knew that there were marriage the problems? Affair. Marriage problems. The younger three knew we had marriage problems, but did not know about the affair. The older two knew about the affair and knew that that was the reason why. But How did they find out that out? Did they hear you guys or did you tell them? Or Early on, it was way back when I had said I needed counseling. He tried to use the kids against me in that conversation and bringing them into that conversation that they should have never been a part of and basically said, yep, mom, mom thinks she needs counseling. I think my, my daughter had said, well, then get counseling, figure this out. We're sick of this. But it, it was always his word against mine, him being the pastor, them watching him preach, them knowing what he said, hearing him preach, hearing, you know, you know, my son's listening to him at the, the men's breakfast and what he's holding other men accountable to. So how could this man be this wrong? Yeah. There was just gross spiritual confusion in our home. Um, I can see why. I mean, and then kids don't know. Kids are innocent and they're not really grasping the dynamic and what's going on. So, and then when you have a powerful narcissistic personality, that person demands allegiance. So Absolutely. I, my guess is that he would be putting the kids in situations where when they when he said something about you that they had to kind of give him an indication of do you believe me or do you believe mom absolutely absolutely and we had multiple family meetings where I would sit alone on one couch and and have to either give an account for why I had done something or I remember in one particular instance when something had happened and my one son was and, and daughter were very upset with me Chuck had just turned him and said I hey I, I don't want you, you shouldn't have to hold this in. It's not good to hold these things in. Tell your mother how you really feel. The irony is no one would ever be allowed to do that to him, ever. It would be considered disrespectful, dishonoring if anybody ever talked to him that way. And yet here he's coaching our kids openly, you know, in making it seem like it was all in openness and in love, that this is tough love. And we're going to have, you're going to have to hear it from your kids if you're not going to hear it from me about how you shouldn't talk to other people. And when I mean talk to other people, I had like two friends in the church that have stuck by me. Actually, one of them was one who said, hey, I really think you should listen to this woman. She was the one who turned me on to you. Bless her. <laughs> and yes. Yes. Thank you, Kathy. So now some people listening might be thinking, well, uh, I don't know. Was it really right for her to go to his board and to tell the pastor the truth yeah. and to let the kids know? And, you know, it's a sticky area. And I always say that you have a right to talk to who you need to talk to, to get support for yourself. You don't do it maliciously and viciously and to get back at somebody, nope. but, but when it's to hold somebody accountable then it's Matthew 18, where you go to that person. If that person doesn't listen, you go to a couple more. If that person doesn't listen, if you have the structure and you have a situation, now most people listening are not going to be dealing with a spouse or the person that's their problem that 
works on a church board or is part of a church to where they have that option. So then they might be thinking, you know, do I go to parents? Do I go to friends? You know, you've got to be careful, but your reason is to get accountability and to get somebody to face their sins. Sometimes you have to make these difficult choices and they're not easy ones. I know that you struggled with that for a long time. Well, clearly, I mean, this obviously this was, you know, over the period of the last, 12 and a half years. The turning point for me in each time that I did go was when you look at someone who has committed the gross sin of, and I'm, and I mean gross, not disgusting, even though yes, it is disgusting, but the, the huge. huge sin, having sexual relations with an underage girl as an adult man, statistically speaking, that was not the first time, which I didn't necessarily believe, but the recurrence of that, if it went unchecked, is astronomically high. With him continuing to not be completely repentant, there was never a true repentance. There was never this gross remorse, like this. there was never this remorse and repentance throughout this whole time. It was always, yeah, I'm sorry, but. And sweep it, let's um, sweep it under the rug. Let's put it behind yes. us. Okay, fine. I said yes. it, I admitted it and we're done. That is not repentance. Absolutely. Exactly. And so at this point, and I'm a nurse and technically a man, and I'm a mandatory reporter, even trying to figure out what that looks like. I mean, yes, husbands and wives are protected under the law, but morally speaking, what am I allowing the potential for for another person oh good good question good thought and that's where i had to go and say listen i've gone to every possible authority i went to police i went to everybody in authority and this man still is allowed to hold because the first time without we didn't we didn't mention this but without naming the board or the denomination uh you went to the like the head of the denomination and tried to get some accountability there and yeah it was told that wasn't yep. yeah that there wasn't any that's correct yes. that's correct so- you are divorced right for about a little under six months now or going through the divorce yes. uh what um, brought you to the point from there to where you were like i just can't do this anymore uh, again process two things one when one of my sons was 10 at the time i caught him in a lie and was confronting him about it and in his 10 year old very adult way his literal words came out of his mouth and said, well, hey, dad does it and dad's a hypocrite. That's when I knew, okay, I'm no longer protecting the kids from a divorce. I'm no longer protecting the kids from finding out any information. I was protecting my husband at this point, trying to save him from himself and from what he had done. And I recognized at that point, I can no longer do that because now my own children have started to adopt habits and trying to justify them through sin. That was a turning point for me. I wrestled with divorce then. From that point on, it was, I did a lot of research on, was it better to stay married for the kids' sake and just live with things? Or was it better to divorce and have them be utterly, you know, ruined for the rest of their lives because I had done this. And I really begged God for permission one way or the other. I just needed answers. I didn't care what the answer was. I needed answers. It came in the form of more information. I found a new counselor who, over the course of a little while, basically let me know that he had years previous 
when Chuck was the youth pastor, was asked to interview a, a separate girl who was who had felt Chuck made some sexual comments and advances towards her that I never knew about that was also swept under the rug. There were, because at this point, two churches worth of people in, in counties all over had now known that we were having issues and that Chuck was fired. When he was fired from the last job, they explained from the pulpit why he was fired. Um, Telling about the affair? That it was with an underage girl. In the the past, but they said that. They said it was in the past, but the reason they said it was basically to cover them. You know, they needed to cover their butt that they had just found out about it. Whoa, I bet he was mad. And he he was livid. But there was enough people that knew about our story and that continued. It was always Laura... Um, God hates divorce. You need to love him. This was in the past. God is a God of grace and mercy and peace, and you need to be forgiving. God forgives these things. I had always wrestled with that. Do I know that? Yes, I absolutely do. But I had to realize, and being in God's word was my save. It was the only thing that saved me. I'm, Carla, I'm, it was the only thing. I wouldn't be here. I couldn't have taken the next step to even call you to do anything had I not been in God's word. But it was confusing because... It was insanely you, confusing. I, I was... You're using... Yeah. there, And then also even... I hate it when forgiveness is used that way because it's almost used like a club. Like, oh, just... Yeah get over it, stuff your feelings, discount all of your perceptions, all of your concerns, and just forgive and go away with it. And that exactly. isn't really what forgiveness is. It's That's inappropriate, and it's completely discounting and invalidating to the person that you say that to. Yep. You've, the, other, the other thing you had told me that the reason, without getting into the exact place, he was going to go back and get a doctorate. His parents were going to pay for him to get a doctorate. He was, it was getting counseling. a certificate. It was a leadership certificate. He just continued to say that he was leadership material, you know, while he wouldn't do it in the church anymore, because that's obvious. And when I realized that, like, he is going to commit again, like this is, he is not remorseful. This is not the actions of a man who's repentant. He is hard-hearted. I want no part I've let everybody that was appropriate to know that there's a problem here. And again, statistically speaking, I've found out since then that yes, he has had multiple encounters with other women. He is currently getting married Saturday uh, to a girl he knew in high school that he admitted to our kids that he has kept in touch with throughout the years and to which he adamantly denied in every counseling and made me feel incredibly small that there was no other person. There was no other person in the world but me. Yeah, we were divorced two weeks shy of our 26th wedding anniversary in January, and he's marrying Saturday. So you filed for divorce? Yes. And did that feel good or were you scared? Oh, gosh. Um, I was shaking and sobbing <laughs> in the attorney's office. But again, it was a couple years getting some counseling through you, through a counselor here, and recognizing that he wasn't going to change. That was the hardest part for me, you know, aside from the, the kids being turned against me. But the, the one of the most difficult things was really, was I giving up on God by giving up on our marriage? Was I giving up on God being able to, to change him? Because mm-hmm. I knew I couldn't change him. I mean, that was that was very apparent. That was obvious. I learned that early on. It wasn't me that was going to change him. It was going to be God and the Holy, his Holy Spirit. I really wrestled with, what, did I just not have enough faith? Was it wrong of me to do this? And what it came down to was needing permission from God. And when I recognized that every person that came to me 
with an argument of God's mercy, grace, forgiveness, was not marrying the fullness of God's attributes with righteousness, justice, honor, holiness. Those things were not talked about when trying to justify why I needed to stay with my husband. They and were so just the, talking about your your vow, that's it. Yeah, yes. And being and submissive. Not about, yes, not about the fact that there was not righteousness in this relationship at all. There was no justice. There was no honor. There was no holiness. And yeah, and no love, which the sad thing is, I would have done without that had my husband repented. Well, you were willing um, to forgive. It's oh, just that absolutely. the repentance wasn't there. And so there could never be any healing. And right. Because your feelings, you never, you had no place for your feelings, no place to talk about how you felt and what you were concerned about, what still didn't feel right to you. And yeah. that is, you cannot hear, heal from an affair without all of the pieces in place, without it even being something that involves the church and the church related. But you had insult on top of injury coming from yeah. that. Now, what is your life like now and how are the what do the kids think? Still kind of new for us navigating child visitation. My older two are old enough that they don't fall under the visitation category, so it's on them to continue relationship. Younger three are 14, 13, and 10, so they have a say of what they want, but essentially we're still new into this and they obviously love their dad and want to be a part of his life, but have been thrown the curveball of a girlfriend now going to be wife pretty early on in the stage here. She's been in the picture since the day he moved out. They've had the whole family. We've had a major adjustment in all of this. It's been apparent that he and his girlfriend were sleeping together. She would spend the nights when the three boys were over. I've had to stay out of it, but in every prayer of mine for each one of my kids, first name and middle name, begging God to be merciful and and continue to be faithful to them, that they would be faithful to him. He He's answering. My oldest two are very close with the younger and they've kind of taken it upon themselves because they know it. I, there's nothing that I can do to really help them navigate what this looks like. My job, as I've told them, is to help them emotionally be safe in their home here and help them navigate talking to their father. Ironically, there's not a single one of us who are not afraid to talk to him. I thought it was just me. My oldest two individually confronted him about sleeping with his girlfriend and how that goes against everything that he's ever preached and has ever wanted for them. Our oldest is uh, my only daughter and she was married last year and uh, Chuck was extremely tough on them during their courting on appropriateness. And so they called him out on it didn't go well. So they went together to confront him in which he used scripture against them and to justify why the Bible never speaks about marriage being, it's just a government thing now, how they love each other and they're committed to each other more than ever. And it marriage is, he literally said, is just a piece of paper. Oh, so like they were, they could say, okay, God, before you, we're married. So now we can sleep together. Exactly. And manipulation, my definitely. Yep. And, um, you know, over this last little bit with my one son even confronting him on a couple other things had called him, my ex it had called him a liar. And so they're seeing through him and having to confront him. They're choosing to confront him. I'm trying to stay out of it and just pray for them and support them and love them. But I've never pushed them. I've tried very hard. It's that fine line of speaking truth right. about another human being. 
but and to help then, the person respect that person exactly. or want to have, exactly. especially with your kids. It's that fine line of, do I teach, how do I teach the kids to respect this person as their father or as the mother, but at the same time, validate what their experience is and what they're going through. Yep. And, and I have to really separate my experience with them, even though I know it, it would do the same thing to them. It was really important that I separate my experience so that they could have their own. Yes, true. And not assume and, that they were experiencing the same thing that you had. There's a different relationship between exactly and, and parent. So the kids see that see the truth now. They they're validating to you. Do they not they, stopped blaming you for the divorce and for? They absolutely have. They wonderful. absolutely have. It's been a huge blessing to the point where my oldest son. Um, we were divorced two weeks before our 26th anniversary, and he's a full time college student. And took me out to an expensive steak dinner on what would have been our 26th wedding anniversary because he didn't want me alone, but it's awkward at best. He told them in the meeting that they had about a month ago that fiance and him over the years had always wondered what it would have been like had they never married their spouses that if they had been married. And my daughter through tears said, dad, do you understand what that says to me? It says you never loved mom and that you would be willing to give up your five kids to which he just said, you, you went to a very dark place that I never said. And she goes, that's exactly what you said. Carla, if there's, there's a lot of encouragement like I'd like to give people and one of them is never stop praying for your kids in this situation. For all the times that I sat on the couch on the other side of the living room being berated, praying during those times, begging God to let the truth come out, but that it wouldn't be strong handed by me. He has, and it's been they've owned their faith. Unfortunately, it's against their own father. Yes, but at least it's coming, like you said, from them and not from you. And that's exactly. why they're not resenting you over it. And, yeah. you know, and I, and I need to clarify too, at this point that in, in this testimony, neither Laura nor myself are suggesting that all pastors, all church leaders are unhealthy and engage in spiritual manipulation. We no. would never, never suggest that. But I think the one important thing for people to remember, and this happens sometimes when you go to a pastor or an elder or even a ministry leader in the church, a men's ministry leader, women's ministry leader, they don't have training in dysfunctional, difficult relationships and counseling. So they don't recognize the dynamics and they do give you counsel that comes from this just biblical point of view, like the scriptures. Well, you're not loving your husband. You're not submitting to him. You're not mm -hmm. forgiving. And what this does is it's sure it's scriptural but it's extremely invalidating discounting and it it is when you're in a place of pain it comes off as abusive and undermining to you and it's like in James where it talks about when somebody comes to you and says I'm hungry and I'm cold and you say well go in peace God bless yeah. you your yeah. work warm and see go yeah. and be well fed warm yeah. and well fed you that's yeah. that's not cutting it right so we so you can't go to people even in the church even if it's your pastor for if they don't have training and you have a really difficult relationship with difficult dynamics it isn't going to a safe place for you to go so when you go to a pastor who doesn't understand the dynamics of abuse it's easy to miss emotional and verbal abuse where is your faith with god and how are you doing with being able to be in a church still it's 
good question. Thank you for asking. My faith is stronger than ever. I, throughout this whole time, I've remained faithful to God, and it was by being in God's Word, continuing to attend the church that we had gone to um, for last, a little while. Last one. Was it the one that he was fired from? No. So it's another church after that that we found. There's a fantastic book called When Narcissism Comes to Church, Healing Your Community from Emotional and Spiritual Abuse by Chuck DeGroat. And is that, how do you pronounce that last name? DeGroat capital D and then E and then G-R-O-A-T, Chuck DeGroat. And I would say that because as a as a former pastor's wife, you can't just go to anybody. No. Um, and the church is not equipped. Individuals are not equipped. The church we were part of was that the church's mission was greater than family. And the sacrifice of family was for the greater good. And the irony is we were selling out the individuals for the mass. And that just aids in narcissism through the abandonment of families. Like in Psalm 68.6, God sets the lonely in families. In 1 Timothy 5.8, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he has defiled the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. These are the scriptures that we have to get back to as, as church, as individuals, and as in leadership. I've watched so many church leaders either escaping into church work to avoid personal and family conflicts or to succumb to allowing the church bigger family to take precedent over their immediate family. Yeah, and that's kind of a, a form of even codependency. Of just you feel important when you're doing that, or you feel yes. obligated, or you feel like God wants you to, so you get into that. But at the same time, you know, this whole thing of accountability is, is we don't have the same structure in our church for accountability as we did during the New Testament when, you know, Jesus was talking about Matthew 18. If this person, you go to this person, and if this person doesn't listen, you go to that person. Mm -hmm. You do have the elder boards, but like I said, that it's sticky because the elder boards don't really know how to handle all of this. On the other hand, the ch you know, churches can be kind of a dysfunctional family, so they don't always have the ability to respond appropriately to even the information they do get, so it becomes complicated. Yeah. This this book that I referenced, When Narcissism Comes to Church, I feel like it should be taught in seminaries. We have a minute for just a quick quote in the book. In the inner life of a narcissistic pastor is the chapter, you don't need a degree in counseling to notice problem patterns, inconsistencies. You don't need a degree in organizational psychology to notice anxious systems and abusive dynamics. Each of us is gifted with an intuitive sense of right, wrong, health, and unhealth. As God's, God's image bearers, we're hardwired to recognize the scent of shalom and wince at the smell of accusation and evil. Yeah, I would add on to that to get support because this type of thing, being in a relationship where you're have where spiritual manipulation is being used on you and manipulation and you're being gaslighted and all that i would say that it is very easy to just give in completely to that Absolutely. and uh, instead i think you have you there's no way you can do this with outside outside support I, there's said. no way yeah. there's no way I, and i'm ever so grateful to you carla to um, my friends and family who have literally handheld walked me through this it's taken a lot but you're there and, and you and it's wonderful. Yeah. It must be extremely freeing to be out of this heavy oppression and that spirit over you where you can't be yourself. You're not validated and just to have that freedom. It is. I'm learning who I am. <laughs> Absolutely. Never too late. Thank you for being willing to do such a personal and honest accounting of what you went through because I know it was very painful and you're, that's being pretty vulnerable. So I appreciate it. And I know it's going to bless people and help people. It's going to help some people listening to little light bulbs are going to be going off all over. 
here. I, that, I sure hope so. That there, and it may be that somebody's not dealing with a, a spouse who's having an affair in the church or worked on the church, church board, but in some realm of their life, they are being manipulated spiritually and they need to have clarity regarding that. And that just simply means using scripture to control you and scripture to make you doubt yourself and in a very discounting and abusive way. So thank you again. And I look forward to our next podcast. I thank you for listening to this story from Laura and for your sharing it with other people that you think would be helped. So God bless you, Laura. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this interview on Change My Relationship. We hope you will subscribe to these podcasts and share them with your friends. Carla would love to hear from you. She welcomes ideas for future podcasts as well as your feedback on how the podcasts have helped your life and relationships. You can email her at carla at changemyrelationship.com. For more information on Change My Relationship and Carla Downing's ministry, including her books, studies, devotionals, podcasts, and YouTube videos, visit changemyrelationship.com.